Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Grace Community Church Wednesday night service. Uh, thank you for being here in person, and thank you for tuning in if you're watching online. If this is your first time watching us online, my name is Wade, and uh, we're glad to have you. Let me go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and uh, then we will get into tonight's message. Father, thank you for another opportunity to get up here and uh, preach what you've laid on my heart. God, I just pray for everybody that's watching online, everybody that's here in person, that you would just open our hearts and minds, Lord, to receive what it is you're saying to us. Lord, I just pray that you give us understanding of your word. And uh, more than that, I pray that you help us, Lord, to be obedient to your word and do the things that you ask us to do. And we'll give you the glory for that. Lord, I just pray for all the ones that are at home right now that, that can't make it to church, that are sick, the ones that have had surgeries, the ones that are uh, just sick, Lord. I just pray that you'd be with them and comfort them. Let them know you see them right where they are. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been here on Monday night. We had VBS, and then last week uh, I had to go to the hospital with somebody, but they're doing a lot better. I'm glad to be back this week. If you've been with us for about the last month, we've been going through the, the book of Hebrews. Uh, and if you missed any of those messages on the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, you can look them up on the, the website or Podbean or, or YouTube if you want to go back and get caught up on those. But uh, mostly, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, we were talking about laying aside the weight and the sin in our lives and uh, getting rid of the things that keep us from living a the godly life that God desires us to live and uh, making the changes that we need to make in order to live in obedience to God. And uh, mostly we talked about how to do that. You know, Jesus was our example, but how to do that without growing weak and faint in our faith and in our spiritual life. You know, we talked about how the chastening of the Lord is always a guide for us. It's not punishment. It's something to reveal those things in our life that are going to lead us in the wrong direction. That's God nudging us back on the path that we need to be on. <clears throat> and if we'll listen to him and pay attention to when God is chastening us, you know, it'll keep us on the right path and keep us from making choices that lead us in the wrong direction. And lastly, the last message out of Hebrews 12, we talked about receiving God's grace. And uh, the only way we receive God's grace is by humbling ourselves. And truly surrendering to Jesus Christ and making him the Lord of our life. And uh, the definition of grace is the removing of guilt. And uh, we can't have that if we're still in charge. You know, if we haven't made Jesus the Lord of our life, if we're still in charge. If I'm calling the shots, then Jesus is, is not my Lord. And uh, if, I, if he's not my Lord, then my guilt has not been removed. You know, I have not been forgiven and that's what grace is it's a free gift from God and we, when we receive that then our guilt is removed and we talked about the difference between grace and mercy you know grace is the removing of guilt and mercy is uh, you know it's God having pity on our condition because of sin mercy is the absence of punishment he takes away the you know all the bad things that we go through because of sin we have to acknowledge that Jesus is the perfect sac sacrifice and what he did on the cross is the only way to forgiveness, is having him as Lord. 
the only way to a right standing with God and the only way to receive the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live a godly life. That's what grace is. It's, uh, the, one of the definitions of grace is it's the divine influence of the Holy Spirit controlling my heart instead of me, enabling me to do the things that I can't do without him. Uh, but we ended that last message out of Hebrews 12 with this. You know, it's, Hebrews 12 has a sense of urgency to it. You know, God is not only saying this is what you need to do, and these are the changes that you need to make, but you need to make them now. You know, we're, we can't make changes yesterday, and we're not promised tomorrow. So the changes that God reveals to us that we need to make, we need to do those today. Uh, to, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We can't just keep putting things off and putting things off and putting things off. Uh, you know, we, we see it all the time. People are, are just dying all the time anymore. And uh, you're not promised tomorrow. And it would be a, a terrible thing to wake up in eternity without Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about it almost every week. The scariest words I can think of are, depart from me, I never knew you. So the, the time to make sure your relationship with Jesus Christ is now. Like I said, you can't do them yesterday and you can't do them tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. It's the only time we have to make decisions or to make changes. So if God is laying something on your heart, you need to do it now. Uh, you know, don't go to bed at night burdened about something that God has shown you that you haven't done yet or you just won't do. You know, you refuse to do it. That may be why you don't get good sleep or you're always restless or anxious because you know for a fact that God has laid something on your heart and you just haven't done it yet. Uh, and I can tell you from experience, if God has laid something on your heart and you haven't done it, you will not have peace until you do it because God loves you. And uh, that's that chastening that we were talking about. That's for your good. <coughs> The Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God don't want anybody going to hell, and God don't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there when we, when we refuse to be obedient to God, and uh, we refuse to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So if God has laid something on your heart, uh, don't go to bed feeling bad about not doing it. Just do it. And then you will go to bed in peace knowing that you were obedient to God and you've restored that relationship between you and Him. Uh, that's what it's talking about in Proverbs 3 and verse 24. It, you know, and I'll go back a little bit, but in Proverbs 3, 24, now this is talking about once you have came to God, once you are following Him, being obedient to Him, letting His Word guide you, then when you lie down, you won't be afraid. Uh, you shall lie down and your sleep shall be sweet. Uh, I can remember just a, a few years ago, you know, my sleep was full of torment and bad dreams and worries about tomorrow and consequences of things that I've done, just all these things. And sleep was really hard to come by. But once I did surrender to Christ and got my life uh, where it needed to be in His eyes, now I don't have any problem going to sleep anymore. I mean, every once in a while, everybody has a little trouble sleeping, but I don't lose sleep over my relationship with God anymore because I know it's where it needs to be. But if you back up in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6, I think it is, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom, 
out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God will show you what to do if you will just come to him and acknowledge him as Lord. And uh, in verse 10 and 11, it says, when, when you do surrender your life to Christ, wisdom does enter into your heart. And that knowledge is pleasant unto your soul. You're not going to be sitting there going, oh, what do I do about this anymore? Because God's word will teach you. Uh, Jesus said the spirit will teach you all things. And he does. But that don't happen until you surrender your heart <coughs> to Christ. And then wisdom will enter into your heart. I know that from experience too. And knowledge is pleasant unto your soul. And in verse 11, it says, In discretion, and that, another word for that would be obedience. You know, obedience shall preserve you, and understanding shall keep you. And if you read on through that chapter, it says it'll keep you from the ways of evil men. It'll keep you from the immoral woman. It'll keep you out of trouble. You know, it'll show you, if you're just obedient to the Word of God, how to stay on the right path. Uh, you know, I share these verses with you all the time out of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. We talked about that a little bit last night in Celebrate Restoration. You know, we've got to acknowledge Him in all our ways. We can't just acknowledge Him when things, you know, fall apart, when things are bad. You know, everybody does that. God help me. God help me. But what about when things are just really good? You know, you got money running out of both pockets and life is great. That's when we think, we, you know, we can let our guard down. But that, in those times, it's just as important to acknowledge God in all your ways because it's real easy to have a pocket full of money and go in the wrong direction uh, and start doing things. We'll forget what God has said. You know, there's a, a proverb for that, too, in Proverbs 30. He says, give me food that's convenient for me, lest I be uh, full and deny the Lord, or lest I be hungry and steal and take the name of my God in vain. He says, give me food convenient for me. So it, whether it's lack or whether it's abundance, we still have to acknowledge God in all our ways. If we don't, if we lean on our own understanding, like we read in verse 5, we'll go the wrong way every time. We can't lean on our own understanding. We have to trust God and let Him guide us. But if He does lay something on your heart, don't debate with God and don't put it off and procrastinate. Do it now, and then you won't have to worry about it anymore, and you can move forward in your relationship with God. I know a lot of people that are stuck right where they are in their Christian walk simply because they won't do that one little thing that God is asking them to do. They're asking for the next big thing to do, the next thing, I want to do this for God. I want to do this for God. You know, God's not going to give you anything bigger if you're not doing the little things that he asks you to do. He wants you to do the little things too. You know, Josh said Sunday, you know, if you see a cup in the parking lot, pick it up, throw it in the trash. Don't walk all the way back in here and tell somebody there's a cup out there. You know, you had to walk all the way back in here past a few trash cans to get in here. If God lays something on your heart, He's calling you to do it. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about <coughs> mostly tonight is how Christians should should view other people, how we should help other people. You know, we'll get into that story here in a little bit, but uh, we're going to be talking about alms, and I'll tell you the definition of alms. That's 
pretty much doing something compassionate for the poor. Uh, and it's not just talking about people that are poor in money. It's talking about people that are poor in the spirit. You know, we've got all kinds of people all over the world, and uh, we don't have to go all over the world to find them. You know, we've got people all over this area right here. There's all kinds of elderly people that have nobody to help them, and you think everybody has somebody. Everybody don't have somebody. You know, there's a lot of people sitting there all by themselves with nothing to eat, no way to help themselves, and nobody cares. So we'll be talking about that a little bit. But that's our spiritual condition when God looks at us. You know, ever since Adam and Eve, I'm not calling everybody a sinner, but we're born in sin. And in God's eyes, until we surrender to Christ, we are sinners because we're infected with sin. We're born into it, whether we've ever committed a sin or not. But we all sin daily, I believe. But uh, in Matthew 5 and verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what that means is when you realize that you are poor in spirit, God is, and I always tell you this too, God don't ever ask us to do something that he hasn't already done first. And uh, the greatest alms, I think, that's ever been given was Jesus Christ. God saw our poor condition and he gave his only begotten son so we could be saved. He gave the perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could save us from eternal death. But uh, once we realize we're poor in spirit, and we realize there's nothing I can do about that. I don't have any kind of bank account or anything. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything. The only thing you can get that is uh, the free gift from God. And that's that grace that we've been talking about. And we'll be talking about how closely related grace and alms are. Their definitions are almost identical in the, in the strong concordance. But uh, I want to read these, and then we'll get on into tonight's lesson. We're supposed to be the salt and light of the world. Uh, the salt is a representation of the gospel. You know, we're supposed to get the gospel, share the gospel with other people. If we can get that salt, get that gospel into them as a seed, you know, we don't save anybody, but we can introduce them to Jesus. And that's what these verses are talking about. And the light... Uh, that we'll be talking about. That's us telling others about the gospel. But in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, it says, you are the salt of the earth. You know, we are, we are the ambassadors of the gospel on earth. It's our duty to spread the gospel. We want to talk about how bad things are in the world. And uh, I'm not calling the church a failure, but I'm saying that I think for the most part, we're not getting the gospel out as effectively as we should be. You know, we are the church, and we should be spreading the gospel. You are the gospel of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. We'll talk about that a little more in a little bit. Uh, verse 14 calls us the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. <coughs> and neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. 
You know, God don't want us to learn and read and study his word just to keep it to ourselves. We are to share it with others. In verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we'll get back to those words, good works, here in a little bit too. But first I want to read these verses out of Matthew 6. And this is talking about doing alms. Uh, verses 1 through 4, it says, Take heed that you do not do your arms, alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let your alms may be in secret, and your Father which sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. Uh, like I said, we are the salt of the earth. We're supposed to get the salt in other people. And uh, if we can just get that seed of the gospel into them, then the Holy Spirit is the one that will make it grow. Uh, Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And not only in our hearts, but everybody you share Jesus with, he'll shed abroad in their hearts too. But that seed can't grow unless we plant it. You know, it's our job to share the gospel with people. I mean, not everybody is going to get up and preach. Not everybody's an evangelist. Not everybody's going to teach a class. But everybody has a community around them. Everybody, you know, you know people at school. You know people at work. You know people that you're kin to. You know, I have family members that are not saved. A lot of them. And I pray for them every day. And uh, I try to share my faith with them when I when I see them but it, that's hard to do sometimes and if you've got family that don't know Jesus you know what I'm talking about a lot of them don't want to don't want to hear it a lot of them they knew me before Christ and uh, they think it's a joke yeah you got Jesus you know and Jesus said he wasn't accepted in his own country but that shouldn't stop us it didn't stop him he still tried to witness to the people in his hometown uh so we'll get, like I said, God was the, the greatest picture of alms there is. You know, God pitied us because we were poor. And we have to have that same pity on people. You know, we can't see the whole world as sinners. We have to see them for what they are. They're spiritually poor. They're lost. They don't have Jesus. That's why they act the way they do. Uh, you know, I shared the definition of grace with you a few weeks ago. It's the divine influence upon the heart. And it's a reflection. It should be reflected in your life. And that's talking about the Holy Spirit. Alms, uh, the definition for that is compassion for the poor, merciful towards the poor. And not just by having pity for them, it's actually an action word. It says by being actively compassionate towards them. And uh, a word that goes right along with that is the word elios. That's a, a Greek word for compassion. And it is the free forgiveness of sins. That's the same thing as grace. Uh, and it's related to the misery that sin, sin brings. Not a sin, not the committing of a sin, but the state of sin. God looks down on us and he has pity on us because of the state of sin we're in. And he has compassion on us 
And if we will receive it, he gives us that free forgiveness for sin. And uh, like I said, grace removes guilt and mercy removes our misery. And alms is a mixture of both those things. So when we see somebody that's poor, somebody that's going through a hard time, somebody that's life is falling apart, we shouldn't be running away from them. We should be running to them. You know, Galatians 6, 2, it's not in my notes, but it says to bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. You know, we have God's law. We have the Ten Commandments and then all those other ones that have been added, you know, through Moses and whatever. And we've all fallen short of that law. So in that aspect, we're all sinners. But the law of Christ is forgiveness. And that's what he means by bear one another's burdens. When you mess up, I forgive you. When, when I mess up, you forgive me. And that fulfills the law of Christ. That's what our whole faith is built upon, is the forgiveness of sins. If that wasn't the case, and if it wasn't free, then none of us would have a chance. We'd all be doomed to hell. And uh, like I said, grace removes guilt. We get that when we receive Jesus as our Savior. Mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. And that's what God has for us when he looks at us, pity for our condition. Uh, but mercy is the outward manifestation of pity, pity in action. You don't just see the need of somebody. You do something about that need. You go to them and you help them. Mercy says, I see the need of the one who receives it. And the Holy Spirit gives you the resources that you need to meet that need. Uh, we can't have true mercy on somebody without the Holy Spirit because we don't have grace to give without God. We receive that through the Holy Spirit. But once we have received the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we have adequate resources to meet those needs for people. All we have to do is make a decision to do that. Uh, but what I want to talk about tonight I'll read Matthew 5 from verse 20 first because he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew every law. They were the religious leaders of the day. They knew everything there was to know about the law, but they could care less about people. They didn't have the love of God in them. They were making no difference to the lost. They weren't saving anybody. All they were doing was taxing people with more and more and more laws. They were making the problem worse instead of better. And uh, Jesus said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. But what he's saying is, if all you have is a rule book and you don't have compassion for people, then you're never going to lead anybody to salvation. You're going to drive people away from God because nobody can meet that. Nobody can rise up to that standard. Uh, I was at a Johnny Hunt men's conference. I think it was the first one I ever went to. And he had this quote, or it wasn't a quote. He was saying somebody came up to him before church and told him, I've got a bone to pick with you. And he told them, I don't, I'll do my bone picking after church. He said, I'll see you after church. You know, that all that was was Satan trying to poke at him and uh, get his mind off of what he was going to be preaching on. And I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. 
You know, we should be, if we call ourselves Christians, we should be boneless Christians. We shouldn't have an agenda. We shouldn't have a heart full of anger because somebody did this. You know, we call ourselves Christians, and then we get so bent out of shape over traffic that it ruins our whole mood, and we don't want to witness to anybody because I've been inconvenienced. And we got to get out of that mindset. We've got to get in a mindset, I have to share the love of God. And there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be inconveniences. There's always going to be something in your day that's going to cause you to get angry. But the biggest problem I see is unforgiveness. Because when you, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you can't effectively share the gospel. Because that's what it is based upon. I'm going to read some passages out of Matthew to you. And then we'll... We'll talk about them a little bit. But these are all examples of what Jesus is talking about to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, all they have is a law without any love, without any compassion, without any letting people know God loves you and there is eternal life. Uh, in Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13, uh, this is talking about, I think Josh referenced this on Sunday too. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And that's the way we are. We want to judge people instead of hearing what Jesus has to say. They're even judging Jesus himself. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. You know, we read in Matthew 5, 3 a while ago, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying again here. You know, he came for those who know they're sinners. He's ready to welcome you with open arms. And he says, I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices because the sacrifices they were offering were just for show to make themselves look self-righteous and make themselves look holy. They weren't doing that for the sinners. They weren't doing that to try to get anybody to Christ. They were doing that to make themselves look good. And Jesus said, I want you to offer mercy to people. Uh, another one I want to share with you is Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, one through seven, and uh, it says, uh, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, <coughs> so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, "Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath." And again, that's all they're doing. They try to point out flaws in people. And we get, you know, so caught up in that, seeing what's wrong with other people instead of seeing what they need, you know. Instead of trying to help them out of a bad situation, all we want to do is go somewhere where they can't hear us and talk about their bad situation. And uh, that don't help anybody. God wants us to help people out of bad situations. He don't want us to gossip about them. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? 
he went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. He told the scribes and the Pharisees that over and over and over. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. He's telling them, I don't want you to look holy. I want you to help people. I want you to show them mercy. I want you to let them know God loves them and there is forgiveness of sins. Uh, it's just over and over and over and they would not get it because they didn't want to give up their prestige and their power that they had over the people with the law. Uh, another passage I want to share with you, and this is only two verses, it's not really a passage, but he's talking about the Pharisees and how fake that is to go to church and be self-righteous but have no love of God in your heart at all, have no compassion towards people, have no <coughs> desire to help anybody. Uh, in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, that's what he's talking about. And he's talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees. In NLT, it calls them the teachers of religious law, but that's the, the scribes. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Uh, King James says you're filled with dead men's bones. And I think he said that because, you know, Scripture also says before Christ, we're all dead in our trespasses. We're all dead in our sins. And I think he's reminding them, without me, you're still dead in your sins. No matter how many scriptures you can quote, without me, in your heart, inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And without Christ, if we're not surrendered to him, then our hearts are still filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, we can't help other people if we're not don't have the love of God in our hearts ourselves. And uh, I told you I'd share this with you. We'll go ahead and read that, the story about the, the Good Samaritan. That's what we are supposed to be, uh, our Good Samaritans. Jesus was a Good Samaritan for us. But in Luke chapter 10, we'll read verses 30 through 37, and then I, that'll be all my reading. But in verse 30, uh, Jesus replied with a story, a parable. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. You know, I think a lot of us do that. It's not that we don't notice somebody's going through a hard time. It's not that we don't notice. Somebody needs help. And uh, I'm not even saying we don't even pray for them. Oh, Lord, send somebody to help them. We are the church. We are that somebody. We are the, we are the answered prayer for somebody. All we got to do is be obedient. 
just like the cup in the parking lot. If God lays somebody on your heart, don't tell somebody else they need help. Go help them if you're able to. Uh, and then a temple assistant walks over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And we see people like that too. Not only do they notice something wrong in somebody's life, they want to go over and take a good look at it and poke around at it and be nosy and get all the gossip they can get. And then they'll go post it on social media instead of actually coming in and say, hey, I see you're struggling with this. Do you, <coughs> do you need some help? And, uh, you know, that, that has to change if we're going to make a difference for Christ. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And I think Jesus is a lot like that despised Samaritan, just like the scribes and Pharisees. You know, they were talking about Jesus eating with the people at Matthew's house, and uh, he's our Lord, and they're talking about him like that. When you're not lining up with the way people do church, with the way you're supposed to look at church, then people are going to, you'll be a despised Samaritan too, no matter how much good you are doing for other people. If you're not doing it in a way that makes them look good, they're not going to applaud you for it. But the despised Samaritan was the one that was doing the will of God. It says, he going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds. <coughs> excuse me, with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these, Jesus said, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Uh, just like he'd been telling those scribes and Pharisees and the other three things that we looked at, you know, show mercy, not sacrifice. God don't want you to come to church and look holy. God wants you to be the church <coughs> and actually do something that makes a difference. Uh, you know, we read a while ago where it says where men will see your good works and glorify your God which is in heaven. It takes good works to do the work of God, not just good thoughts. But, uh, you know, as long as I'm angry or offended and as long as I have my own agenda, like I said, I'm not going to be cared about helping anybody. I'm focused on myself. And uh, we can't be offended Christians and be uh, effective at the same time. We just read a while ago, we're supposed to be the light of the world. Uh, Josh does this, he does this demonstration, and if you go to church here, you, you've probably seen him do it. But he'll have you look up at one of those lights on the ceiling and look at it for a while. And then once you take your eyes off of it, you can look at somebody and you still see the light and the person at the same time. And that's an illustration that he uses as we need to see people with God in the picture. You know, we need to see people the way God sees them. But most of the time, the way it works these days, the world is almost 100% selfish. 
All I think about is me and what I need and my thoughts. So instead of looking at the light and then seeing the light in other people, we do this, and we just shine the light on ourselves. All my focus is on me, and I can't see you at all. I can't see God at all. I can't see anything but me, my needs, my emotions, my feelings, what I want. And uh, there's people slipping through the cracks while we're doing that. We have to be less selfish and uh, more godly-minded. We have to be more outward. You know, if all my focus is on me, it's all inward. And I want to receive instead of give. give. God wants us to give. He wants us to share his gospel. Uh, Luke said in Acts 20, verse 35, that that's exactly what Jesus said. And uh, he said, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring, he's talking about Paul here. Paul said, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, God takes care of us. Once I've surrendered my life to him, he takes really good care of me. You know, he says, I will provide for you. And he does. You know, he provides everything I need. He provides my clothing, my food, uh, everything. He always needs it. I love Psalm 46 in verse 1. It says, the Lord is an ever-present help in time of need. He is our refuge and strength. And if we're going to be Christians, that's what we should be. They don't say God is ever-present when times are good. He said he is an ever-present help in time of need. And when we see people <coughs> in need, then we should be an ever-present help. We should be the first ones on the scene. We should be the first ones asking, how can I help you? Uh, instead of waiting, waiting for somebody else to help them or sticking our nose in like we just read and going and talking about it. If we see it, just like that cup in the parking lot, it's our duty to do something about it. Oh. Uh, Josh preached on this Sunday, too. He's talking about Nehemiah building a wall. And the reason Nehemiah got so emotional about it is because the Jewish people were his family, and Jerusalem was his hometown. So we have to be touched by the infirmity of other people. But that starts at home. You know, if I'm, if my relationship is not with God, it's not where it needs to be at home. If I don't have compassion for other people at home, if I'm not praying for other people while I'm at home, then I'm not going to do it at church. I can take it at church and act like I care, but it's going, to, it's not going to be real. It's going to be just like those scribes and Pharisees we just read about. And it, you know, I'm not going to care about meeting the needs of others. Our relationship with God has to be genuine. It has to be real, you know. My relationship with Him has to be real at home. You know, we can't be so self-absorbed that we don't notice or care about the suffering of other people all around us. And uh, talking about being offenses, you know, if you have offended somebody, then say you're sorry about it, you know. We teach, or DJ teaches this in Celebrate Restoration all the time. You know, if you're wrong, quickly admit it. And uh, if we don't do that, if we know we've offended somebody and we don't apologize and say, I'm sorry for that, then my witness for Christ, to that person anyway, is useless. 
they're not going to listen to anything else I say because in their mind, I'm a hypocrite. And if I'm actually doing that to them, then I really am a hypocrite. And then my witness for Christ is, is useless. Like we just read in Matthew 5 and verse 13. That's what Jesus is talking about. If your salt has lost its savor, uh, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing, he says, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. If I'm not as good as my word, then my witness is no good. We can't treat people like that and offend them and expect them to believe the, the truth about Jesus Christ. Let our yea be yea and our nay be nay, the Bible says. We should speak the truth in love. And, uh, you know, what we, how we live our lives, how we treat other people, that is a direct reflection on Jesus Christ and God himself. So if your salt has lost its Savior, and it's good for nothing, you know, if you've offended somebody, apologize. Say you're sorry. For Christ's sake, you know, I've heard you people say, you know, oh, Pete's sake for this and that, but for Christ's sake, if you have offended somebody, apologize to that person and say you're sorry. It's not for your sake, for his, because it's not our name at stake anymore if we call ourselves Christians. It is his. And uh, that could very well be the thing that keeps somebody from surrendering their life to Christ. And that could cost them eternal life. Uh, like I told you, this world is 100% selfish. You know, we can't be like the world and serve Christ and share the gospel. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 3, it says to give no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. You know, it's not our reputation on the line. Uh, 2 Corinthians also says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Everything that comes out of my mouth is a direct reflection on what I believe about God and who I think God is, and that's my representation to you if I'm talking about Christ, you know, as who he is and how he sees you too. Uh, DJ was sharing last night at Celebrate Restoration, and I really love this. One of the guys, he had a really rough week last week, and one of the guys asked him, you know, how can I help? And uh, his response to that guy was, just stay sober. i got enough to deal with. You just doing what you're supposed to will help me out a whole lot. And that, that really stuck with me. That really resonated with me. You know, that's what God's saying to us. If you want to help me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be, <clears throat> if you want to be my ambassador, then stay spiritually sober. Live the way you're supposed to live. Be the example you're supposed to be. Uh, second, or First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, that's exactly what it says. Be sober. Be vigilant in your faith because the adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion walking about seeking who he may devour. You know, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. So if I'm not sober in my faith, if I'm just half-heartedly doing it, if I'm just looking good at church and living like the world through the week, then I am an enemy of Christ. I am doing damage to the church. I'm not doing it a bit of good. And if somebody really is in need, I'm not helping them either. I'm not helping myself. I'm not helping others. And I definitely am not helping the kingdom of God. So we have to get serious about our faith. What we say, what we do matters. And what's in our heart matters. And 
I tell you all the time, I don't know your relationship with God, and you don't know mine. But if your heart don't have the love of God in it, then you need to take it to God and talk to Him about it and get that right. Because we have to have the love of God in our hearts to make a difference for Christ. So keep a close eye on yourself. You know, really work on your relationship with God. Discipline yourself. Uh, I have to make changes in my life all the time because we can't get complacent in our faith. If we get a routine going, and we need a routine, but we need to change it, you know, pretty regularly. I changed my routine last week uh, because I was getting too lazy in it. It was just, that's what it had became, a routine. I was skipping through my devotions just as quickly as I could, and, you know, it lost its meaning. And if your relationship with God has grown complacent and lost its meaning, change it up a little. You know, we have to discipline ourselves. That's why he says all through his word, discipline your faith, discipline your faith. You know, it takes change to keep a relationship up. I don't know how many of y'all are married, but, you know, it's a different relationship when you first get together when you're dating. If you've been married 20 years, you've changed some things along the way, and you'll continue to change some things because the relationship don't stay the same. That's the same with our children. You know, they mature, we mature. The relationships change. The same thing with God. You know, as I mature a little bit in my faith, then I'm more responsible than I was before I knew better. Once you know better, you you have to change your relationship. You have to change your discipline. You have to change your own rules. God does have rules, but we should have rules of our own. You know, I implemented new rules at my house last week, and they're just for me because I live by myself. But I don't want to wind up way over there, distant from God, because I, I see it happening and I'm too lazy to do anything about it. I don't want to drift away from God. I know I've been without God and I don't want to go back there. That's not a good place to be. I want to live a godly life. And the only way I'm going to live a godly life is to keep God in my life, keep my relationship with Him where it's supposed to be, and make the changes I've got to make to be obedient to what He's telling me. Uh, we shared, or DJ shared this at Celebrate Restoration last night too, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. This has to be an ongoing thing. And, dear, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, and this is the part that is constantly changing. You know, it's not a one and done. This will change every year of your life. In Celebrate Restoration, we call it step four. You know, you find out the things that are not right in your life, and you do what it takes to make them right. But as a Christian, we have to do the same thing, and I think it happens every year. We have to renew our minds every year. We have to change the way we think every year because... We've got new challenges in this world every year. Somebody was telling me uh, just today that they've got things in school now that they're telling kids, I mean, they're telling the teachers that if a kid comes in and says they're a dog or a cat, they have to respect that. And they have to acknowledge them as a dog or a cat. They're even putting litter boxes in the school bathrooms. 
you know, we got to renew our minds every every year. Uh, we got to know what God's word says and let that be our truth, because this world is growing more evil by the day, and we've got to renew ourselves by the day. You know, evil is growing. We have to grow too. And uh, that person said, if I was a teacher, I would just walk out. I wouldn't be part of that. And that is what is wrong with the world. <coughs> we don't need to give up and walk out and just let them have free reign. That's where we need to stand up and say, you are not a cat. You are not a dog. You are made by God himself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a human being. And uh, they don't know the truth. We're supposed to be the ones that tell them the truth. And we should take our faith seriously. Uh, but we're always going to have problems. And we should, you know, there's never a day going to go by that you don't have a problem. You're going to get mad. You're going to get cut off in traffic. It's being what we're supposed to be in those circumstances. That's what we're supposed to be the answer for. Uh, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we are Jesus' representatives. You know, when somebody calls me and they're having a, a really hard time, might be of good cheer. What can I do to help? I'm not Jesus, but I got him in me and I'm willing to help you. <coughs> That's what we need to be. You know, we've got people in church right now. I know they had one of the worst last two weeks of their life. And they spent this week, they went to two funerals, but they still took time to cook food and take it to other people that were sick. You know, even though they were going through that hard a time themselves. we got people that come every week and bring food to the, the food pantry. They do it every week. And they got a busy schedule as everybody else. They got bills to pay just like everybody else. But they they love people so much that they <coughs> they do what they can to help. You know, like I said, there's always going to be problems. But we're the ones that are supposed to be strong in the problems. You know, we bring our weaknesses to God. And he says, I'm strong in your weakness. But we have to bring them to him. You know, help somebody else. And... Uh, we reap what we sow. You help somebody else. When you need help, somebody else will help you. And vice versa, just back and forth, back and forth. That's what the family of God should be. But it shouldn't just be for the family of God. It said in Galatians 6, verse 9, I think it is, it says, especially for those that are of the household of faith. But we're supposed to do good to everybody. Uh, but we can't get rid of pride and selfishness and all that anger and hatred and unforgiveness on our own. We have to have the Holy Spirit. We've got to have grace like we started out with, uh, like we closed the message two weeks ago. We have to have grace. We have to have that divine influence on our hearts reflecting in our lives. <coughs> like I said, He is the light of the world, and once you receive Him, He will shine through us then we are the light of the world. Uh, so if we still got a bone to pick with other people or the way things are, we need to check ourselves. You know, am I submitted to God? Because if I am, I shouldn't be arguing about stuff. I should be here to help fix the stuff. And we have to see people for what they truly are, spiritually poor, not as a bunch of sinners, but people that need Jesus. 
And then when we see them like that, we can give them that grace and give them that mercy. We can be the good Samaritan <coughs> and not just giving them judgment and criticism. Uh, but if you've never given your life to Christ, that's where it starts. You can't do any of that stuff without surrendering to Him. And I always try to give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you realize you're spiritually poor, like it says in Matthew 5, 3, then, you know, just cry out to God and say, I know I need your help. I know our relationship's not where it needs to be. I want you to come into my heart, and I want you to save me. I believe you are who you say you are. And God will meet you right there. It don't matter what you've done, where you've been. God loves you. He knows you're a sinner. And he will save you. But that last part of that verse, it says, Confession with your mouth is made unto salvation. If you made that choice today, tell somebody else, uh, Today I've chosen to give my life to Christ. And uh, make him Lord of my life. And when you do that, the Bible says you are saved. Uh, Christ will come into your heart and he will start leading and guiding you. All you got to do is choose to obey him when he, when he speaks to you. And uh, don't let anybody tell you you've done something too bad that you can't be saved. I've heard that myself. But Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God knows we're sinners. We're born sinners. So it don't matter what you've done. That's why he came, because we are sinners. And I hope if you've never surrendered your life to Christ that you'll do that today and uh, let him come into your heart and lead you into eternal life. But uh, I hope this message helps somebody. I hope it helps you take a a closer look at yourself and what's in your heart. Am I offering grace to others? Am I offering mercy and compassion to other people and really trying to help them like I'm supposed to? Or am I just coming to church to look godly? You know, you're not, I tell you all the time, God is not mocked. That's what uh, Galatians says. You know, what you sow, you will reap. And if you're just faking it, one day we will all stand before Christ and uh, we'll give an account for what we've done. And if my relationship is not right with him, it'll be too late to change it then. That's why in uh, Hebrews 12, it says, do it today. Take the advice God's given you. Make the changes. But I hope that helps somebody. And uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for tuning in online. Let me pray for us, and we will be dismissed. Father, thank you for another opportunity to get up here and share your word. God, I pray that that touches hearts. I pray that it really sinks into their ears and their hearts, Lord. And I pray that you give us all the courage to, to look inward, Lord, and not outward, and see what needs to be done. And I pray that you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, Father. And I pray that you give us the courage to not only hear you, but to, to actually be obedient to what you say and do the things you ask. And I know, Lord, that we'll be able to bear the fruit you want us to bear because of it. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus Christ's holy name I do pray. Amen.